0: Hi everybody, Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, find out why I'm suddenly on the road. Also a maddening update of media mistakes in the era of Biden. I'm sure it sounds a little bit noisy because I'm back on the road again. I'm recording this on Friday, September 3rd and I'm driving up to Bedminster, New Jersey, and I'll explain why. Our debut of season seven of Full Measure, super excited. It comes a week from this Sunday, so that'll be September 12th. And by way of a little bit of background, I have been asking for an interview with Joe Biden for over a year since before he was president, when he was candidate Biden, but I have not been successful in getting an interview yet. There are a lot of important things to talk with him about and you know the style of the interviews we do on Full Measure. We would give him plenty of time to amplify on his answers and to talk in some depth about a lot of different topics. So hopefully that will come through sometime in the not too distant future. Meantime, I have also asked for an interview with former President Donald Trump who remains really a unique political figure in this country. I had a researcher take a look to see if there's anything really to compare this phenomenon to whereby a former president remains so popular on the political stage among his followers where he can conduct appearances and rallies and get tens of thousands of people to show up repeatedly. And the researcher I had look in some depth couldn't find anything like it. I wasn't able to find anything like it either. Especially when you consider how the media and social media and the information censors have worked so hard to keep him out of the spotlight and out of the news. You know he's been censored and banned on social media. The information minders who are actually propagandists don't even want you to hear the information or to get a full range of views and opinions, or in other cases, studies and reports. They want to be sure they control access to pretty much whatever you see and believe. So along those lines, Donald Trump has been pretty invisible in most respects from popular media and the Internet. And yet he remains arguably the most important Republican political figure in this country and one of the most important ones in the world, even post-presidency. So I've also asked for an interview with Donald Trump and that's been granted. So no interview with President Biden so far, but former President Trump said yes and there is a lot to talk with him about. Originally, the interview was set up for Mar-a-Lago on Thursday, a few days from now, actually almost a week, and it was going to be at Mar-a-Lago in the Palm Beach area of Florida. Then it got changed to Bedminster, New Jersey, because it turned out Trump was not going to yet be in Florida. He was still going to be in the New Jersey area, so we moved it to New Jersey. Then it got moved up to Sunday, which is in two days from now. Then it got moved up to Saturday, which is tomorrow. And actually this kind of rescheduling happens a lot when you're talking about high ranking political figures. Interviews with the press are not the number one thing that they have on their plate or that they have to worry about. So we are fine with rescheduling, scheduling around other commitments. And obviously I'm happy to do the same with President Biden. If he agrees to an interview at some point, even on very short notice, we will do whatever we can to get to him on his timetable at his convenience. And it's not unheard of, by the way, to have a scheduled interview cancel altogether. I think that happened only once in my half dozen or so interviews with Donald Trump. It was before the election in 2016, so he was candidate Trump, and he agreed to do an interview with me in Wisconsin. So I headed there with, my producers and crew and we were there in the building. I believe it was a hotel if I remember correctly, where Trump was also in the building making an appearance and we were all set up to go. And we got word that he wasn't going to do the interview. To this day, I don't know why they canceled. I don't know if it was his call or a call made by somebody on his team. And in fact, we got online when we were there to see did some news event happened that he didn't want to be asked about or have to address and we couldn't figure it out but all that's to say that from time to time that happens and even as I'm driving to Bedminster New Jersey for the interview tomorrow night on Saturday I can't be certain that it's going to take place until it actually takes place by the time you listen to this If you are hearing excerpts of the interview, which we will be feeding out to our stations and affiliates, if you hear those, because this will be his first broadcast TV interview since his presidency, then you'll know that it went off as expected. And if not, well, it won't. Regardless of that, we will still have a full and exciting program for you on our debut of season seven on full measure, September 12th. If this interview happens, you will hear the full interview Sunday on full measure. But also, regardless of whether President Trump is included or not, I'll have a big debut investigation on the border crisis. And I can pretty much guarantee you will hear information that you haven't heard elsewhere, which is what I try to do, as you know, provide reports and information that isn't widely disseminated elsewhere or maybe even censored on the internet and by other media. Every time I go to the US-Mexico border, whether it's in California, Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, I learn something new. And something different is usually happening every time I go. I've described the border as almost a living thing, and by that I mean that it really changes the texture and tone and what's happening on the US-Mexico border changes pretty quickly depending on what policies are being enacted, maybe who's president, what the priorities are. And the best part of these trips, I think, is going there without a preconceived notion of what I have to find. I really want to see what's happening based on what people who live there and officials who are in charge and police and border patrol and the illegal immigrants themselves based on what they have to say. You learn a lot of interesting things, a lot of off-narrative truths, when you go with an open mind. I think everybody has an idea of what a story may be before they get to the location, but the magic in making sure you're doing interesting, accurate reporting is not sticking to what you think you know, to the exclusion of learning the facts on the ground, which is what happens a lot. I've written about that in my books. But being open-minded and looking around and seeing what's really happening, even if it's not what you thought or contrary to the narrative you had in your own mind, that's the way you come up with really interesting stories and original reporting, I think, that a lot of other people don't have. On this trip to the border, I went to Texas, the Rio Grande Valley area. And of course, since I was there a few months ago and broke some news early this year when the peak of the crisis started to be recognized, I was interested to see what was happening now, some months later, because a lot of the major media reporting, there was a flurry of reporting done for a short period of time, has quit. Haven't heard too much lately, so I wanted to see what was going on. And another thing I wanted to see firsthand was, is the coronavirus problem coming in with the illegal border crossers As bad as some said that it was, is there any documentation about this, or is it perhaps exaggerated? And it was very interesting to learn the facts on the ground about that. So that's all going to be on the September 12th edition, debut season seven of Full Measure. I hope you'll catch it. Now, as for today's podcast, it's been some months since I updated for you my ever-popular list of media mistakes in the era of Biden which you know I also kept a separate list of media mistakes in the era of Trump so I thought I'd uh, give you an update on some of those latest media mistakes in today's podcast. you may be familiar with the one that just happened USA today repeat offender on the list did a fake fact check as i call it a fact check for the purpose of spreading propaganda or defending a particular political viewpoint. They did a fake fact check recently that implied President Biden did not repeatedly check his watch during the arrival home of the bodies of the poor fallen soldiers, the US soldiers who were killed in Afghanistan. It turns out that fake fact check got a lot of attention and sometimes pressure from that sort of thing does make a difference. And USA Today had to revise its fake fact check to acknowledge that President Biden did repeatedly, they say, check his watch during the ceremony. When these revisions and corrections are made, it seems like there is rarely, if ever, an apology to the people who are maligned. In this case, it would be the Gold Star Parents who had said that President Biden checked his watch. They observed that. They were basically being called liars. But when these things are corrected by the media who gets it wrong, it doesn't seem to be there's a real I'm sorry or mea culpa. Nobody seems to be held accountable. The same people that make the same mistakes seem to stay in position only to be caught making similar mistakes perhaps in the future. And that's the case here. A few overview observations. When I was tracking the media mistakes in the era of Trump, they were exclusively against Trump, the ones that were political and could go either way, were against Donald Trump. And it became quite the pattern. The comprehensive list, if you're interested in reviewing it, can still be found at CherylAtkinson.com. If you look under the Special Investigations tab, you will see a link to the media mistakes in the era of Trump, as well as a separate listing from media mistakes in the era of Biden. And so far, the mistakes under President Biden have an entirely different tone. Most of them so far, unlike the ones involving President Trump's time, are not against or to the detriment politically of President Biden. But I did find one mistake that was. So let's go to that one first. Monday, April 26, 2021. This was a report by Fox News that had to be corrected. Fox News had reported earlier, had incorrectly implied, says the network, that a calculus involving Americans eating less red meat was part of, quote, Biden's plan for dealing with climate change. That's what Fox News said it had reported, that Americans eating less red meat was part of a calculus as a plan for Biden dealing with climate change. However, on April 26, Fox News corrected that and reported, quote, that is not the case. The next day, there was another issue. New York Post reporter, Laura Italiano resigned after an incident at work in which she says she was pressured to write a factually incorrect article. The article claimed that a book written by Vice President Kamala Harris was being distributed to children who illegally crossed the border into the US. But a correction to the Post article was issued and it noted, quote, the original version of this article said migrant kids were getting Harris's book in a welcome kit, but it's been updated to note that only one known copy of the book was given to a child. More media mistakes on the road after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We are back. And the next media mistake we're going to talk about was actually the same day as the last one, April 27th. And this has to do with a Politico article that had three bylines. It was bylined by... Eugene Daniels, Crystal Campos, and Michael Cadenhead. And it wrongly stated that a Congressman named Byron Donalds was quote, Florida's first ever black Republican in Congress. In fact, though, he is the third. There is a correction to the article, but nobody explained how the basic research impacting the very premise of the article wasn't done prior to publication. How do three journalists on a byline make the same mistake and not check their facts and no editor catches it? This is the kind of problem we have in reporting today. Simple mistakes. Mistakes that if you made them in journalism school, at least when I went to journalism school, you'd get an automatic F. These are not hard things. These are simple things to check that should be part of every basic fact check. Next one, Friday, April 30th, Newsmax corrected its 2020 election fraud reporting and apologized to Eric Coomer, Director of Product Strategy and Security for Dominion Voting Systems. You may have heard that Dominion Voting Systems was taking umbrage with a lot of the reporting going on about alleged election fraud. And in this quote, Newsmax says, Newsmax has found no evidence that Dr. Coomer interfered with Dominion voting machines or voting software in any way, nor that Dr. Coomer ever claimed to have done so, nor has Newsmax found any evidence that Dr. Coomer ever participated in any conversation with members of Antifa, nor that he was directly involved with any partisan political organization. That was a statement issued by Newsmax. Apparently they had done some reporting or perhaps had analysts on that said otherwise, and maybe they concluded that they had not balanced that analysis appropriately. Next media mistake, Friday, April 30th. NPR, like many in the media, reported as if somehow confirmed firsthand that, quote, President Donald Trump's allegations of election rigging and widespread voter fraud are, quote, false. Now, instead, these reports that wanna take issue with Trump's allegations, they could or should accurately say that NPR and other news outlets have not uncovered evidence of widespread voter fraud. And in fairness, they should describe what efforts, if any, they've made to do so because not finding any evidence if you're not looking very hard or only looking for one side doesn't mean a whole lot. And I haven't seen that there's been a lot of expose or detailing of any outlets conducting a widespread firsthand investigation to find fraud or to eliminate fraud. Most often, and this violates every basic reporting tenet, media outlets simply declare as if they know that there was no fraud. This may seem like a bit of a technical issue to you, but it's very important in journalism, or at least it used to be, You're not supposed to, on your own, declare something is or isn't the case based on something you're learning second or third hand from others. You can attribute those comments to other people. You can say that you've talked to various people or that you've even consulted with people who have investigated and they say they found no fraud or vice versa, that somebody did. But you cannot, as a journalist, when you're not in a position to know, simply claim yourself that there was no fraud or there was fraud. Doesn't matter what you think or believe, you're not supposed to be reporting your own opinions and formulations that you're getting after talking to people second or third hand, unless you attribute it to them as information you've learned from other people or other sources. NPR in its writings also calls the media outlet Newsmax far right when it is not. And if NPR decides to insert such opinions and attacks in its news reporting, it should label them as such. Or as I said a moment ago, attribute them to a source. It's perfectly fine if Newsmax wants to say that they spoke to a particular person or a critic who calls Newsmax far right. But for NPR to do this, I don't think it even helps their viewers gain confidence in the reporting viewers start to see if their opinion's inserted in news reporting as if it's a fact. Even if they happen to agree with the opinion, they understand that they're not getting a straight recitation of something that happened. And I really think that ultimately chips away at confidence viewers and listeners and readers have in their news sources. Saturday, May 1st, the New York Times, Washington Post and NBC News had to correct their egregiously false reporting about Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani. The articles all claimed that Giuliani and or One America News had received a, quote, former warning from the FBI about Russian disinformation prior to 2019 political scandals involving the U.S., Russia, and Ukraine. Now, Giuliani and One America News did not receive such so-called defensive briefings after all. The false New York Times article was written by William Rashbaum, Ben Protests, Maggie Haberman, and Kenneth Vogel. Haberman and Vogel are repeat offenders on the anti-Trump media mistake list and yet continue to seemingly work their way up in the echelon of journalism. The false Washington Post article was written by Ellen Nakashima, Shane Harris, and Tom Hamburger, and over at NBC News, Ken Delanian is once again on the error list for this story, a repeat offender. This incident also should make you wonder how these same folks who often get their reporting wrong based on whatever sources they have and yet continue to survive another day at their news organizations to make similar mistakes, also based on some source or anonymous source that perhaps proved wrong in the past, you have to wonder, how did they all get the same wrong story at the same time and publish it on the same day? That should go to show you how the media has come to be used in some cases as propaganda tools now. It's not that these reporters are pounding the pavement, developing real sources, getting information, checking their facts, coming up with original information and insight, they're literally often getting a phone call from somebody who wants a particular story, sometimes a false story, put out in the press. And for reasons I can't fully explain, except saying they are willing tools of propagandists, the press is too often willing to oblige, even after one debacle after another. I would think that all of the misreporting on the Russia, Russia, Russia story for years when it turned out that almost none of that was true, no apologies, by the way, were issued to the likes of Carter Page or Donald Trump or all of the others who were slandered. One would think that that would be an important lesson for major news organizations who would be embarrassed, humiliated and do a lot of soul searching and analysis to see how they could have gotten things so wrong and gone down this rabbit hole of things that weren't true and been so convinced that they were and done so much reporting that was one-sided to the exclusion of any opposing viewpoints. This was a huge problem that deserved a big rethinking on the part of the media such as the New York Times and CNN and others They got so much so wrong. But I think what we've seen now is there's not been any sort of soul searching or rethinking or reevaluation so that the facts can be better presented next time. Wednesday, May 11th, as people were waiting in long lines for gas, do you remember that last spring? And even as the New York Times, by the way, showed images of long lines in its news coverage, the newspaper claimed in a tweet that, quote, there have been no long lines. Additionally, the same day the tweet claimed there were no major price hikes, consumers were documenting major price hikes, up to $9.99 a gallon, prompting President Biden, in fact, to warn against gouging. But according to the New York Times, none of that was taking place. Again, the perils of not following basic journalistic principles, the New York Times certainly should not claim there have been no long lines. Has the New York Times and its reporters been at every gas station in the United States to confirm no long lines? the most they should be able to say is that they themselves have not observed long lines or could not find anybody who had. Even that would be a problem since they had photographs of people in their news coverage waiting in long lines. So again, basic journalistic mistakes for the sake of presenting a certain narrative. Another important one, this occurred on Tuesday, May 17th, the Pointer Institute, retracted a September 2020 PolitiFact fact check. Pointer Institute is in charge of the PolitiFact fact checks. This retraction was about a statement by Li Meng Yan that falsely claimed among other assertions that the genetic structure of the novel coronavirus rules out laboratory manipulation. This is a really important issue because as you may know, early in the pandemic, and continuing for the next year on the part of some media outlets, there were reporters and pundits and analysts who claimed that the idea coronavirus originated at the lab in Wuhan, China had been debunked or ruled out when it never was. In fact, as I reported, it was the prevailing operative belief slash theory by most of the scientists that I spoke to who are directly involved, behind the scenes, contrary to all of this reporting. And many authorities have now agreed that it was never the case that the genetic structure had ruled out laboratory manipulation. So PolitiFact, many months later, belatedly, added this following editor's note to its original fact check. It said, when this fact check was first published in September, 2020, PolitiFact sources included researchers who asserted the SARS-CoV-2 virus could not have been manipulated. That assertion is now more widely disputed. For that reason, we are removing this fact check from our database pending a more thorough review. Currently, we consider the claim to be unsupported by evidence and in dispute. The original fact check in its entirety is preserved for transparency and archival purposes. Again, the same issue, instead of fact checking because they were trying to further a narrative the lab theory as false the most this politifact fact check could have or should have said and they would not have been in trouble if they would had done this is that they consulted numerous sources who said this could not have come from a lab and it was ruled out by genetic analysis if you attribute what you're reporting or what you're claiming to its source and not saying you know this firsthand certainly PolitiFact did not conduct a genetic analysis of COVID-19, then you're protected and you should always, by the way, in that case include some opposing viewpoints. There were many that were not included. But again, that's the problem with these fact checks. They exist more often for the purpose of trying to further a storyline or help a political figure or a corporate position, not really trying to get at the facts and therefore, The basic rules of journalism and fact-checking are thrown out the window. June 2nd, the Washington Post joins a cacophony of other media in finally correcting their false reporting that had incorrectly claimed early and often that the COVID lab theory was a debunked conspiracy theory. Same note as I made just a few minutes ago about the Pointer Institute PolitiFact Fact Check. It sure took them long enough, but by June, Many in the media were correcting and amending their original misreporting. Monday, July 19th, the Associated Press corrected a story that falsely claimed a supposed decision not to prosecute former Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross was made by the Department of Justice under the Biden administration. AP later said that it was really under the Trump administration. Saturday, July 24th, Again, the Associated Press, one of the most prolific mistake makers on both the Trump and Biden list. The Associated Press corrects a story that it had published that falsely claimed Florida had changed to weekly reporting on COVID-19 cases earlier in the month. In fact, according to the AP correction, the change had been made a month before in early June. Monday, July 26th, the Associated Press, again, corrects a story that falsely claimed that CDC had released guidance in May stating that unvaccinated people don't have to wear masks indoors. But according to the correction, quote, the story should have said the CDC guidance released in May was that those who are vaccinated don't have to wear masks indoors. Next, Sunday, August 8th, USA Today's Gape Laques, or Lax, I don't know how to pronounce that. Forgive me if I've butchered it. It's L-A-C-Q-U-E-S. ESPN, the Denver Post, the Washington Post, Associated Press, the New York Post, and other publications reported, as if true, without attribution, remember what I've been saying, that a fan shouted a racial slur at a Miami Marlins player. However, an investigation revealed what many had said from the start, that the fan was yelling the name of the Rockies team mascot, and actually racist-minded observers mistook that for the N-word. By the way, as of a week later, after this incident became clear that it wasn't what some had said, the uncorrected headlines and or false information remained widely accessible in news stories online. Thursday, August 12th, WebMD USA Today and others falsely call the 2020 Sturgis South Dakota Motorcycle Rally a COVID super spreader event. Dr. Anthony Fauci had furthered the false narrative on Meet the Press, but if you've watched Full Measure in the last year, you know this, the super spreader claims about the event were false. Data analysis showed that the rally wasn't associated with anywhere near the national average of cases, far below, and especially not the quarter of a million cases that some had falsely originally claimed. Additionally, it was shown that many in the media had used photos of a previous year's rally, misrepresenting and misdating those photos as if they were taken during the rally that happened during the pandemic. This next one is really big and important. I'm not sure if you heard about this. August 12th, the Texas Tribune, quote, overstated the number of children hospitalized in Texas with COVID-19. How bad was this exaggeration? A factor of more than 40 times. The article claimed that more than 5,800 children had been hospitalized over a seven-day period in August, but according to the correction, the true number was about 142 children in a week, not 5,800, 142. Now, when the Texas Tribune did correct the story, I thought this was pretty interesting. It did not provide the correct number, the corresponding number, for the seven-day August time period during which it originally claimed 5,800 child COVID hospitalizations. Instead, it gave a corrected time period, a correction for a total that spanned five and a half weeks, which made it harder to compare how bad its miscalculation was. It gave 783 children hospitalized between July 1st and August 9th. And what I'm saying here is their mistake was bad enough if you compare 5,800, their figure, to the revised figure they gave, 783, but when you actually work it out time period per time period, the comparison would be 5,800 compared to the true number of 142. Again, the way they reported their correction made it not seem as egregious as it was, although it was egregious even with the way they reported it. And as an aside, this is another interesting fact. While COVID-19 was grabbing the headlines, it was actually a different virus that was filling up those Texas intensive care unit beds, according to the article. It was an unseasonable outbreak of something called RSV, a cold virus normally seen primarily in the winter, but that can be fairly dangerous to some children and was being seen, this highly contagious virus, in a different context now in the middle of summer. According to this article, it said within Texas Children's, more than 45 children were hospitalized with COVID-19 on Wednesday. That was the week of the report. And hospital staff members have diagnosed over 1,600 cases of RSV. Didn't say over what time period. But within Texas Children's, it said more than 45 children hospitalized with COVID-19 on Wednesday and hospital staff members have diagnosed over 1,600 cases of RSV. On Saturday, August 28th, PBS's Hari Sreenivasan and others wrote that a video showing a violent passenger at Miami International Airport showed a, quote, tantrum like a five-year-old, against mask rules. Now, the PBS reporter criticized the passenger and used the hashtag COVIDiots. However, according to news reports, this incident did not involve anything that had to do with masks. It was a mentally troubled military veteran who had a very sad incident. Saturday, August 28th, Writing about a major study in Israel that found, like many others, that natural immunity is far superior to vaccination for COVID-19, a writer named Meredith Wadman falsely wrote in the journal Science that those who are infected with COVID-19 and gain natural immunity still benefited from getting vaccinated afterward. This is false. When the false information was flagged by a reader, in fact, on Twitter, science deleted the false information and posted a clarification. Now, this is interesting because there's rarely follow-up when something like this happens, but there was never any word as to how this fabricated science could have appeared in the article in the first place. One would like to think that scientific journals and writings are very clear about the claims they make and the reporting that they do. And this wasn't just sort of a misrepresentation of something in the study. This was completely fabricated out of whole cloth. How did that claim get in the article? How did the editors miss it if they were familiar with the study? The mistake mirrors, by the way, the same disinformation as it happens that the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, got caught distributing in late 2020 and early 2021. If you watch Full Measure, you know about this story. The agency also, just like this science article, falsely claimed that studies at the time showed a benefit for previously infected people if they got vaccinated for COVID, but the studies show the opposite. That error, that disinformation by CDC, got past all of their immunization experts, the ones on their advisory board making decisions for all of us today, It got past all of the editors, all of the scientists, all of the top officials at CDC. How on earth do they look at studies and fabricate something completely, again, out of whole cloth that was not said in the studies? And you may remember from my reporting on this that it was Congressman Thomas Massey, a Republican of Kentucky, who caught the mistake. He, by the way, is an engineer and has sort of a scientific mind, so he understands I think, better than most, what he's reading and when he's being wordsmithed, as CDC did to him when he flagged the error, but CDC did admit what they had printed was wrong, and yet after they promised to correct it, these top scientists at CDC continued to distribute the same disinformation that they had acknowledged was wrong in a webinar to medical professionals. Pretty shocking. I guess that shows, though, that it wasn't accidental. This was something that was done with intent. Monday, August 30th, scientific findings effectively debunked reporting by media outlets such as Wired, which had reported that social media videos showing COVID-19 vaccine injuries in January were dangerous misinformation. So again, there were videos that were posted online early in the COVID-19 vaccination program in which people who said they got vaccinated had certain adverse events and they were showing in these videos tremors and other problems that they were having. Well, instead of getting to the bottom of it, again, this is the same theme as I've been saying throughout this podcast, meaning the media simply disparaged and discredited those videos without knowing whether they were true or false or whether the people were real patients and had been injured. They simply put them under the category of disinformation and dangerous because that is what the narrative wanted them to be at the time. But in fact, those same videos garnered the attention of some scientists who did investigate and they have concluded that the videos depicted a COVID-19 vaccine adverse event called functional neurological disorder, FND. And researchers in the United Kingdom recently identified for study two additional cases of this after vaccination in women in their 30s. FND, by the way, is a neurological disorder involving malfunctioning of the nervous system and how the brain and body transmit signals. It can be very serious. Symptoms can include paralysis, limb weakness, tremors, spasms, problems walking, speech issues, tingling, vision loss, blindness, seizures, fatigue, anxiety, chronic pain, memory symptoms, and blackouts. And an analysis that I did of COVID-19 vaccine adverse events showed hundreds of thousands of reports of such symptoms. That does it for the media mistakes in the Biden era, the definitive list so far. You can always go to CherylAckeson.com and click the special investigations tab. And on the drop-down bar, you will see the Biden era media mistakes, which is constantly updated, as well as the Trump era media mistakes, two of the most popular features at cherylackison.com. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted. Off narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. My new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, is filled with important context regarding the death of the news as we once knew it. Pick up your copy of Slanted today. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. This week, a final summer rerun of Full Measure. And then on Sunday, September 12th, the debut of season seven of Full Measure. I already have a list of incredible original reports on the schedule with one guarantee. Full Measure will never look like the other Sunday broadcasts, which tend to all be pretty similar interviews with similar people on topics you've already heard about all week. To find a Full Measure TV station near you, go to CherylAckison.com and click the Full Measure tab. You can see a TV station list there. You can also watch live online at fullmeasure.news, fullmeasure.news, 10 a.m. Eastern Time every Sunday, with full replays posted there just about noon Eastern Time on Sundays. You can catch last week's program now, in fact, fullmeasure.news. Also, you can watch live or on demand anytime on our free app, STIRR, S-T-I-R-R, which has a lot of other cool free programming, movies, local news. So check it out the app Stir. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.